Grace, mercy, and peace to you, beloved, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You have the text in one of the handouts that you received. I encourage you to pull that out. I'm going to try to follow last week in reading some of these verses. Tonight we take up Isaiah's second servant song, his second servant song. But before we do so, let's review a bit. Last week's servant song, the first one, was Behold, My Servant of Justice. So let's remember how Jesus established justice for the victims of one of the worst crimes of human history, Satan's lie, and the subsequent murder of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in fact, all of humanity. Let's remember that that word justice that we heard last week also means judgment, and it also means right, and right always means doing God's will, doing God's will. And so let's remember how Jesus established justice, brought justice against Satan's horrible crime. He took our judgment upon himself before his Father, And he did what was right. He did his Father's will for us poor sinners by his suffering and death on the cross. Now tonight, Isaiah's second servant song. And in this servant song, Isaiah provides more details, more details about the Lord's servant. Though admittedly, some of these details are a repeat of last week. Now, in this second servant song, he expands upon a very important point. That point that is the basis of this message tonight. Behold, my servant of all. My servant of all. Now, unfortunately, this is a long servant song, so we're not going to be able to go through it verse by verse like we did last week. There are simply too much there. We're going to have to stick to the topic, stick to the theme that the Lord's servant, again, is servant of all. Now, as you look at that sheet of paper, you could see that that truth is right up front, right at the beginning of this second servant song. So let's read the first half, that first line, sentence of verse 1 together. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Now skip down to verse 6. Verse 6, together. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. One more. Skip down to verse 12, near the end of this servant's song. Together. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Syene. So again, we did hear this last week in Isaiah's first servant song, but here it becomes very prominent. Very prominent. But, folks, this is not a new concept. 
God's concern for all people is not a new concept coming out in the book of Isaiah, specifically in this servant song. God has always had concern for all people, for all people beyond the children of Israel. For example, way back in the book of Genesis, way back when God called Abraham, God spoke to him about his worldwide concern, his concern for all the people of the world. So there, in Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham, I will bless you. I will bless you. And then he said, in you, all the families of the earth shall be a blessing. All the families of the earth shall be a blessing. But sadly, throughout the majority of the Old Testament, this was pretty much not the case. It was either forgotten or it was ignored. Forgotten or ignored. But this truth, as we heard, is there prominently in Isaiah's second servant song. And as we know in the New Testament, this truth takes center stage. Center stage. In the New Testament, after the Lord's servant established justice, Again, by taking our judgment upon himself. Again, by doing what is right. Doing the Father's will by his dying and rising again. There in Matthew chapter 28. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Also, in Luke's gospel, he says kind of the same thing. That repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. In Mark, it's a little bit different, but he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And of course, Acts, you will be my witnesses, witnesses to the very ends of the earth. As Paul would write, as he wrote to Timothy, he says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now look again at verse 1. That word coastlands. And then also peoples from afar. That was the known world in Isaiah's day. The known world in Isaiah's day. Look down at verse 6. To the ends of the earth is right there. And then at verse 12, you see that response. Peoples shall come from afar. From the north and the west, that is, from all the points of the compass, though, of course, only two are mentioned. And then even from the land of Syene, that is, way up the Nile River. Today, we might say that believers are in the deepest parts of Africa, in the most remote parts of South America. Now, let's look at verse 2. Verse 2, together. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. Now in verse 1, as we read, the Lord's servant calls for these far-off people to listen to me. To pay attention, to give attention. And verse 2 tells us exactly why he says this. The Lord 
servant is going to bring his justice. He's going to bring the good news of his justice, that is forgiveness and salvation for all, to all people by the mouth, which means by words, by words. Now, this doesn't go against what we heard last week in the first servant song, how he establishes justice by his dying and rising again. Folks, that would happen. Folks, that did happen. And that truth is going to come up again in future servant songs. But verse 2 here tells us how this justice, once established, his defeat of Satan for that terrible crime in history, will be brought to all by the mouth and with words. Now, of course, you might relate to this with this idea that the mouth is a sword. A number of New Testament passages, you might have already memorized them. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Also, Ephesians 6.17, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. But it's also in the book of Revelation. I don't know if you've read that before. The book of Revelation. When John was given the vision of the reigning Christ in Revelation, twice in Revelation, he saw a sharp, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus is a sword swallower. No. That's telling us about the power, the power of the word spoken. So, during Jesus' earthly life, he powerfully wielded the Word of God. In fact, the first Sunday of Lent, we remember that right after Jesus' baptism, he went out to face Satan. After fasting 40 days, he he faced the devil, he faced his temptation, and he overcame, not by his power as God, but by his powerful word. So speaking God's word, many believed. Speaking God's word, many were healed. Speaking God's word, many of Jesus' opponents were befuddled and baffled. So let's look at verse 3. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So in the Old Testament, more times than not, more times than not, Israel refused to listen to the Lord and Israel refused to serve the Lord. So the Lord sent His only begotten Son, Jesus. And Jesus, the Lord's servant, served the Lord and He became what Israel should have been to the world. Jesus became a blessing to all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. Jesus is Israel reduced to one. Israel reduced to one. And he would fully glorify the Lord his God by winning salvation for all, by doing his Father's will. So far, so good, right? So far, so good. Except we have verse 4. Look at verse 4 together. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. 
Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. My friends, this is what the Lord's servant is saying about his work as he expertly wields the powerful word of God. Words used like vanity, vain, nothing. And so in the Gospels, Jesus came to his own. Do you know the rest? But his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. We heard it in the Passion reading tonight. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders who should have recognized and welcomed him, they rejected him. They plotted his death. Even the people who knew Jesus best, people of Jesus' own hometown, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to kill him after he preached a sermon in that synagogue. Tough crowd, right? Tough crowd. And the crowds, yes, at first large crowds came and followed Jesus. At first. But that changed. When the people could not understand what he was teaching, that changed. And so, dear Christian, as we continue our journey through Holy Week, as we will soon enter, or Lent, and as we will soon enter Holy Week, let's remember the crowds. How at first many of them welcomed him at first, but later many turned away. Let's remember those crowds that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday, but by the end of the week he was all alone. Let's remember that no one stood with Jesus before the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, and Pilate. And of course, on the cross, Jesus was alone, abandoned by men and forsaken by God. Let's remember that for three years, Jesus expertly wielded the word of God. For three years, he expertly sowed the word of God. It appeared much fell on rocky ground or among the thorns or along the path and produced no fruit. Yes, dear Christian, let's remember because isn't that how it looks today? Isn't that how it looks today? The Word of God seems to accomplish so little when compared to the successes of sin, of the world, and of Satan. And yes, we remember the crowds as well. Where are the crowds? They're at the kids' sporting events. They're at the home improvement centers, restaurants and stores and other sporting events. Even during this COVID period, many will continue to go to work. They'll continue to go out shopping and they'll eat at restaurants but not come to church, not come to church. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to remember what the Holy Spirit inspired the author of Hebrews to write. Do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. If you know that letter of the Hebrews, it was written during time of persecution, persecution against Christians. If Christians gathered together, they were endangering their lives of being arrested, jailed, and maybe even martyred. 
And if that's what the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews to write during times of persecution, how might that apply to a pandemic? So, dear Christian, look at this response to God's Word. The response to God's Word was and is so sad and pitiful, even the Lord's servant, even the Lord's servant lamented, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Dear Christian, these words are directed to you as a warning. So repent. Return to the Lord your God and treasure, treasure His powerful word. So these words will never refer to you. And don't, dear Christian, don't sit thinking that this is impossible for you. For St. Paul wrote to the Galatians about the same thing. He wrote, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I am afraid I might have labored over you in vain. So dear Christian, repent and believe in Jesus and continue hearing and learning and treasuring God's powerful word. And take comfort as it works in your life as it moves you to make sacrifices for the Word of God, for the Word of God, as you offer your prayers that God would prosper the Word of God, and as you go about sharing that Word of God, even though it may appear to produce no result. It may appear to be vain. That may be how it looks now, but keep on. Keep on. After all, God has not removed all the problems from your life, has it? All the struggles, all the challenges? No. Beloved, that's simply the way it looks now. That's simply the way it looks now. But we don't trust our eyes. We don't trust our hearts. We don't trust our feelings. We trust our ears. We trust what we hear the Lord telling us. So let's look at verse 6. We're going to read it again. Look at verse 6. It is to light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Here, the Lord is speaking to the servant and speaking about the servant's great success. His servant's great success. What may appear to be a failure, what appears to produce little results, is actually amazingly successful. Amazingly successful. The Lord's servant doesn't only raise up and bring back the preserved children of Abraham, but all peoples from afar, the whole world. The Lord's servant is servant of all. He's the servant of all the people of the world. And that's exactly what we see in the New Testament. Yes, Jews believed, yes, but many, many Gentiles believed as well. And before the New Testament was finished being written down, before all the books were brought together, the Lord inspired the Apostle John and gave him a vision. We heard one earlier, a vision of the amazing results in the book of Revelation. Read it at home, Revelation chapter 7. There John saw a great multitude that no one could count 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, robes made white in the blood of the Lamb. They were holding palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out, they were singing with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These words are ours, as well as the rest of Scripture, to encourage us, to encourage us to press on, to continue to trust the Lord, to continue to do our best to bring the Word of God to all. Because on the cross, our Lord's servant did what was right. He did what was right. He fulfilled his Father's will that all people, Jews and Gentiles, might be saved for all eternity. Yes, to the eye, the cross looks like a dismal failure. A dismal failure. It doesn't solve the problems of life, and it doesn't convert all people. It doesn't take away all evil from the world. But on the cross, the cross is victory. The cross is forgiveness. The cross is salvation. Now let's skip back to the second sentence of verse 1. The second sentence of verse 1. Together. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. My friends, this is the name above every name. This is the name of the only name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. At this name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the name given to Jesus in the womb by the Lord himself for he will save his people from their sins. From their sins. Now Isaiah concludes his second servant song there with verse 13. Verse 13. Let's read it together. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Now calling out to creation, it's not unusual in the Old Testament. That happens quite often calling out to creation. This is an unspoken invitation to all who hear these words of the Lord's servant, who all, to all who believe these words of the Lord's servant. Sing for joy. Break forth into singing. And my friends, this is no command. God is not giving you a new commandment to do this. This is encouragement for you to do the same. Because if creation is doing this, if creation is rejoicing, shouldn't we, who know the Lord's comfort and the Lord's compassion, do so? Yes! Sing for joy. Sing. Not because all your troubles in life are gone and life is as smooth as a newly paved road here in Atchison. Sing. Not because you see the world is the word is bringing about mass conversions. Sing, not because you know evil has given up. Sing, because you have a faith that's fixed in the Lord's servant, the one who has won for you comfort and compassion now and for all eternity. Sing, because the Lord's servant took your hell upon himself on the cross 
so that he could give you his heaven. Sing, because you hear with your ears that good news about the Lord's servant, that he is servant of all, and all includes you. In Jesus' name, amen.